When I was in graduate school, I decided to try and take up a prayer practice. I was, after all, studying theology, was hearing a lot about prayer and spiritual practices, so I decided to try one in a serious manner. At the time, when I was in school, I had not yet converted to Unitarian Universalism, and I had grown up in the Catholic Church, and so what I tried to take on as a spiritual practice was praying the Holy Office, the Liturgy of the Hours, a collection of prescribed psalms and prayers that are said during the hours, the hours of the day, every three hours, round the clock. Now, over the years, these have been done in different ways so that, you know, if you're not going to do it every three hours around the clock, there's at least a morning prayer and an evening prayer and a noontime prayer. So I, I attempted the morning, noon, and night. It wasn't long before I got rid of the noon. But I kept that morning and night for a while. And no matter how much I really tried to give myself to the process, after about two plus years, I was, this ain't work, and I just stopped. Because there was something I knew was missing. Because I had had some experience that I'd seen reflected in the writings of spiritual writers, in the tales of the mystics, an explanation or description of some kind of connection you really can't explain with words, but they try. And I had felt that connection from my heart to the universe, sitting on a beach watching the ocean, walking in the woods, listening to music, playing music, sitting in quiet. It had happened. I knew it was there. And this liturgy of the hours thing just wasn't working. So I put it down. Because in the end, all it was was saying prayers. And as Anne of Green Gables reminds us, there's a big difference between praying and saying your prayers. don't know exactly what a prayer is, but I do know it involves paying attention. And like Mary Oliver says, getting deep down into the grass and being present. And I believe that there's a being present that connects the deep within us to something beyond us. And I think it's worth our effort to be okay with the language and terminology that explores that, because there's many different ways to do it. I think the first step is breaking the box that prayer gets put in, where prayer is words said to some type of deity to ask for something. Some people do that as prayer. And I think that's only like one grain of sand on the beach of prayer. And it's one that doesn't work for a lot of people. So there's got to be more to it that makes it real and valid. And in order to explore prayer, I really believe, as I wrote in the newsletter this week, we must develop and use a language of reverence. UUA President Bill Sinkford talked about establishing, reclaiming, using a language of reverence 
in a sermon he gave while UUA president in 2002. And what he noted was, in our principles and purposes, in our covenant as an association, there is not one word that could be considered traditionally religious. And some people think, great, excellent, that's why I'm here. But I think that harms us, and his argument was twofold, that we as a religious tradition have a lot to offer the world, but we're going to be unable to communicate that if we don't have some kind of vocabulary that we can share with other people, other people of faith. And we can't engage in a discussion about changing the meaning of what some terms and ideas mean if we're not having a conversation with them that they can at least begin to understand. And the language of reverence, as Bill Sinkford noted in his sermon, was we don't necessarily have to mean traditional God talk, but we need language that puts us into presence of holiness, of groundedness. And it is worth us and worth our effort to be able to work on this together. I ran into a concept recently in philosophy of math and science I thought was fascinating. And the idea was that math itself is a fiction. That there are two schools of thought on the philosophy of math. One is that math is real. That math is something embedded in the universe that as humans learn, we discover piece by piece. That if we group things together, we have addition, and we take them away, we have subtraction, we make sets and subsets, all the way up to you know, differential calculus and quantum physics and all this kind of stuff, right? We uncover these layers, and math works, and it's there, and we have to discover it and use it. But there's another school of thought that says math is a creation of human beings, that math is a product of human beings' tendency to want explanations for things and to put things into symbols and symbol systems and to make things so that it's easier for us to understand other parts of the universe around us. And I thought, what a fascinating concept. Hadn't thought of that. And I wonder if a lot of what we talk about in religion and faith, God, prayer, spirit, all which we need to name to really discuss prayer well, right? What if that's the same case? What if it's either real, like those things exist in some objective form that we can discover piece by piece, or what if it is something we have developed as human beings to help make sense of our universe? For when we feel that deep inward to outward connection, when we get to the place beyond words and emotion and intellect. Either way, I think that the things language of reverence point to, God, spirit, prayer, these things are real, right? Even if math is an internally consistent fiction, right? It works. And when something breaks outside of it, we say it doesn't work. Like, you can say 2 plus 2 equals 7, but in the internally consistent world of math, it's always going to be 4. There may, in fact, be no objective outside human reality that there's a 2 and a 2 and a 4 or a 7, 
But within that, it works. And I wonder if that might not be the same thing with the things of the Spirit. That whether they are objective realities there for us to uncover piece by piece, or whether they are part of an internally consistent way we've designed to help us understand the world, it's still real. This is not the same as alternative facts. Okay? Because alternative facts say, within the world of math, 2 plus 2 equals 11 and a half. Right? So we're not going there. What we're talking about is, how do we get what the Greeks referred to in philosophy as really real? What we acknowledge as meaningful, impactful, recognizable, that we can comprehend and we use. So I want to start with, start with that. Nancy Abrams is a scientist, and she's written a book called A God That Could Be Real. And she says, what if God is what she calls, and this is a term from systems theory, an emergent reality? She says, from systems theory, when a system gets complex enough, it organizes itself into something radically different. A radically new thing emerges. The emerging God is the source of all meaning, old and new, and can be understood in this way in any religion that does not require taking any teachings literally. A fascinating idea. I start off there this morning as a way to say the language of reverence is important. And we don't all have to agree exactly on terminology, but to have these discussions, God, spirit, prayer, we need to share some understanding of where the speaker and the community is coming from. So I'm going to throw out some things I use as working definitions, right? God. I'm not so sure God is a person. I think whatever evidence we have suggests not. I'm not sure God is something we have what we would consider an interpersonal relationship with the way we have with a friend who can sit next to us and have dinner with us. Maybe, but I doubt it. However, there are some concepts and understanding of God I've really grown to love and love more over the years. One is... What if we use as an idea of God what Paul Tillich said, the ground of all being? And I was told this week, pronounce being well, because when I say it, it can sound like beans. So, the ground of all being, not beans. I've always liked that. Something that's at the center of whatever is. Something that you can feel, connect to. Something you don't know what it is and maybe don't even have to define. Our own James Luther Adams says, God is the creative, sustaining, and transforming power at the heart of all that is. Whatever that is that does those three things, create, sustain, and transform. For all we know, that may be the process of evolution. It may be science. It may be some ground of all being we don't yet fully understand. It leaves the door open for there to be something for us to uncover and yet relate to. So I'm going to work with those. If prayer is in some sense a connection from within to without, from our heart to God, I think that kind of communication does happen. And maybe that's the God it's communicating with. I think prayer is a spiritual practice. So what's spirit or soul? The educator Parker Palmer suggests that the soul, the human soul, is the essence of us that's left 
when you strip away the intellect, the will, the ego, the emotions. He says, During my bouts with depression, in that deadly darkness, the faculties I had always depended upon collapsed. My intellect was useless. My emotions were dead. My will was impotent. My ego shattered. But from time to time, deep in the thickets of my own inner wilderness, I could sense the presence of something that knew how to stay alive, even when the rest of me wanted to die. That's something I call my tough and tenacious soul. That's an idea of soul and spirit I can buy into. I've been to that place. And I know exactly what he's talking about. So if prayer is a spiritual activity that's some kind of communication or connection between human beings and God, well, what is prayer? Well, here's a working idea for religious liberals. Prayer is the communication and connection with and between our most intimate self and at the same time to some ultimate reality beyond ourselves. That's a very Unitarian definition. That comes from James Luther Adams. It's kind of what Anne Lamott was saying in the reading this morning when she says, it is communication from the heart to that which surpasses understanding. Let's say it is communication from one's heart to God, or if that is too triggering or ludicrous a concept, as we've just gone over, to the good, the force beyond our comprehension, that in our pain or supplication or relief, we don't need to define. We just need it to be there. So, if this is prayer, I agree with Anne Lamott a lot when she says prayer is simple, really. We make a lot of complex things about it, but really there's three prayers. Help, thanks, wow. And the way I tend to think about them myself is need. Prayer happens, that reaching out from deep within us to something beyond, something we want to connect to, something we just need to emote to when we are in great need, when there's nothing else left, when we're in that place Parker Palmer described, whether it's emotional need or financial need or whatever the need is that we get to, and there's nowhere else to go but what we might call prayer. When we get to that end of the rope. And I think it's an important prayer, all prayers for help, all prayers in need, because I think we are taught that Asking for help is somehow not okay. We're weak, not strong. And asking for help is a sign of strength, not weakness. Gratitude. Sometimes we are just thankful to the universe for whatever might happen. For something unexpected, unlooked for, unearned. Something we may have been wanting to happen or didn't expect. And it's there, whether it's the presence of a person, a friend, love, whether it's the word you needed to hear at the time, whether it's the song that helped you connect to yourself. We all find ourselves in deep gratitude where we have nothing left to do but thank you. And wow. I don't think there's a human being alive who can't buy into the prayer of wow because all human beings are struck in awe and wonder. 
the way I know that connection was there with that something, Dag Hammarskjöld says, at some time or some place I said yes to someone or something and it's never been the same since. When we get hit with that awe, we get that connection with that great beyond us and within us. A sunset, love, beautiful painting, piece of music, looking up at the night sky. The first time I actually understood the theory of relativity, I think I had that same feeling that I've had meditating. Something is just right there, and wow. And there's nothing else to it. There's not a help, there's not a thanks, there's not a I want something, there's not let me explain, there's just wow. And because I think this is so real and so prevalent, I hate the term fear of God. And I hate it because, well, one, any God you need to be afraid of is no deity worth having. But beyond that, the original meaning of the phrase in Hebrew is wonder and awe. And I'm all into a God that's about wonder and awe because such a central human experience in connecting to deep within us and connecting ourselves to something beyond us. Prayer is important, be it help, thanks, wow, need, gratitude, or awe. And I think we do well as a faith community to take it back, to expand and wrestle with its definitions and meanings, to not leave it to people who may have other definitions or meanings or pray in the fear of a God. Let us infuse prayer with reasonable, compassionate ideas when spoken and make it a source of sustenance and hope and wonder in our inmost silence. Next week, I'll talk a little bit about what makes something a prayer and a prayer practice. But for now, however you might think of pray, praying and prayer and however you might do it, I want to ask you to pray without ceasing. St. Paul in the New Testament tells people in the churches, pray without ceasing. And he may have meant something different than I do, but I think it's an important thing we all take up. Pray without ceasing. Because there are people who pray for things and in other ways that have prayed without ceasing to support oppression, justify slavery, subjugate women, put down the queer community. People have prayed without ceasing for hate and intolerance for a long time. We, people of compassion, of kindness, of intellectual honesty, of hope, of acceptance, of dignity and respect, of love, we need to pray without ceasing. We need to pray without ceasing for compassion. We need to pray without ceasing for justice. We need to pray without ceasing for our own inner peace. And be it help, thanks, or wow, in need, gratitude, or wonder, pray. Pray without ceasing. Consider this your call to prayer.